Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Five Fragen, or Five Questions, as we would say in English. This is our podcast featuring the people of the Netherlands' diplomatic network here in the U.S. We're talking with the diplomats and policy officers about the strong bonds between the United States and the Netherlands, as well as our diplomatic work in the U.S. We're focusing on the collaborations between our two countries that make our relationship a partnership that works. I'm Jeff Alanak from the Embassy's Communications Office, and I'm talking with Jeroen Beekman, the Deputy Consul General in Chicago. Thank you for joining me today, Jeroen. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I normally record this podcast from the Embassy in Washington, D.C., but we're a few miles away from D.C. right now. Well, more like several hundred miles away. We're in Detroit, Michigan this morning. We held our second Urban Dialogues session yesterday to coincide with the Sustainable Urban Design Summit at New Lab Detroit. And that's why I invited Jeroen to the podcast this morning to talk about Urban Dialogues. But before we find ourselves in the concrete jungle of that discussion, I'd like to start with a more basic question. What's your background and how'd you end up at the consulate? Yeah, well, um, my background is I am a history uh, major. Uh, And I graduated uh, uh, with a degree in American Studies at the University of Wyoming uh, in the United States. Wyoming. I think you're the first person I've ever met who who graduated from Wyoming. How did you pick that one? Well, so I I was studying in Utrecht uh, on history and on American Studies, and I uh, wanted to do an exchange. So I uh, researched that a little bit, um, got a little scholarship, and there were quite some universities I could pick, mm-hmm. uh, but I really, really wanted to go to the West. To the West. Uh, okay. My thinking was, um, if I would go to universities better known, more to the East Side, I'm basically trying to be as European as I can be while in the United States. Oh, it's interesting. Okay. Um, so I wanted to really, really get a different perspective and a different experience. Um, I've always been fascinated by the United States and particularly the American West. So that's what I did. There was a direct faculty exchange between Utrecht and at the University of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. So I, I took that opportunity and I went there and I stayed there. So it was only for a year. Um, but I stayed there, became a teaching assistant and graduated there. So how many how many years altogether? Two. Two, two years. Yeah. Okay. And do, do you feel more... Wyoming, like uh, what is what is even the word? It's uh, Wyomingite. Wyomingite, is that it? Yeah. Wyomingite. Wyomingite. Yeah, Wyomingite. Yeah. Do you feel like a Wyomingite? I'm Dutch. You're Dutch. But, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> I have this special bond with with those uh, few years. They made a big impression on me. Yeah. Um, so I I always enjoy going back there. I like the Rockies. I like the American West. I think it's it's a beautiful place. As Do you get out there often, or no, not that yeah. often? But I was there again two years ago. Okay, um, with my family, uh, toured uh, Wyoming, but also like Montana, uh, parts of Idaho. Yeah, um, you know, when when I drive through Jackson Hole and Yellowstone and the Tetons, I think I can I can do this every year. Is is it as beautiful as the pictures that I've seen? I've never been out there, but in um, person, it's a fascinating place. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful, fascinating place. If if you like that kind of environment, you know the high yeah. plains, uh, the the the, the elevation is pretty high, right? Yeah, so the the university is at seventy two hundred feet. 
Yeah. yeah I don't took me a while to, uh, to uh, acknowledge that. That's a big difference from being be- growing up below sea yeah, level. Yeah, to, it's a high altitude training continuously. <laughs> so you're, you could probably breathe a lot better now. Uh, yeah, I, I don't uh, know. Well, now the, 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 the effects of it are gone. But yeah, okay. when I went back in the summer for, uh, for the Netherlands, you, you could really feel you've been at high altitude. Is that right? Yeah. One uh, time a few years ago, before the pandemic, I went out west on a, on a work trip. And I, I, I got sick for a few days. I, I could hardly breathe. I had a terrible headache. And yeah, well, it was altitude. That's the danger. So, you know, the Laramie, where the university is, it's 1,700 uh, feet. But you wouldn't know it because it's just on a high plain. Right. And the mountains are in the background. Yeah. So if you, for instance, if people have been skiing here, they, they, they would recognize that if you go to the Rocky Mountains and go skiing, you're already at 9,000 feet or 8,000 feet. You yeah. Know? And then if you're sensitive to it, it starts kicking in, even with me. Yeah, you get altitude sickness if you if you're not careful. Yeah, yeah. I bet that's that's an interesting backstory. Thank you yeah. for sharing it. Um, so from there, I graduated and um, I worked on the uh, Al Gore presidential campaign in 2000. Did you? Oh, did I did? Oh. Yeah. Mm. How so, did that? Uh, well, we, well we don't we don't have to rehash yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's... we all know how that <laughs> turned out. Uh, yeah. But you know, I, I I had a working permit. I had a workout. I even called uh, uh, White House officials to see if we could work in the White House uh, oh, in, okay. in, in any capacity. Yeah. But didn't work it out. So I moved back to the Netherlands, um, had a whole bunch of uh, things. I was a political assistant for uh, Dick Benschop, who was then State Secretary of European Affairs. Okay. I worked here at the European Parliament. I moved into communications for in the private sector, uh, then moved to the Ministry of Economic Affairs, eventually became a spokesperson for a minister. I made a career move to the foreign ministry about eight years ago. Um, I became coordinator of bilateral economic relations between the United States and Canada. For me, that was the return to my obsession, if you will, with the United States. Okay. Um, so I always joke, uh, used to joke when um, to people that after I graduated, they said, they said, I always said, if I could do something with this unemployment study, that would be nice. With because, this unemployment study? Yeah, because, you know, a, a degree in American studies, where does that get you? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it's 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 um, it, it, it's not a degree where you can directly apply it to something. No. Well, right. No. Okay. And, you know, for me, this was it. It was like, okay, I get to do something on the United States that I really, that I, that I really enjoy. So I did that for a couple of years, and then I got the opportunity to apply for the position of deputy mm-hmm. consul general, and I got it. So here we are. Oh, congratulations. Why pick Detroit as the second city for the Urban Dialogues program? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we were already working uh, with and in Detroit um, uh, on the creative industry track, so to speak. Okay. So, you know, from the, from the consulate, uh, almost all our work is helping Dutch businesses doing business in the United States Midwest. And we've picked certain priorities where we think there might be more opportunity for Dutch uh, businesses mm-hmm. in particular sectors. And one of them was the, uh, the creative industry track. And we really started as an, as an exploration. Um, there wasn't a lot of research, but I knew Detroit have, has a strong reputation in it. Uh, the Netherlands has a strong reputation in it. So let, let's just try. And um, that resulted in uh, two summits, uh, the Sustainable Urban Design Summit. And it might seem 10 years ago, but uh, three years ago, we were still in COVID. Yeah. Uh, so in 2021, we did a virtual 
Sustainable Urban Design Summit mm-hmm. um, in 2022. Uh, we did a hybrid uh, Sustainable Design Summit. And now in 2023, um, we did a in-person Sustainable Urban Design Summit. Fully in-person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we added the urban dialogues to it because on design within, you know, within the creative industry, the design sector, um, we wanted to um, use this urban dialogue idea to advance several conversations and collaborations on several aspects of how we can work together and learn from each other. Not only entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. but also between governments, between academia, and, and in the mix, of course, because that's the whole idea of the urban dialogues, to see where we have our shared challenges and come up with solutions uh, with this mix, the Dutch approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's how we decided to, to do Detroit, uh, and we had that yesterday, yeah. Okay. The Urban Dialogues Detroit focused on three challenges, mm-hmm. neighborhood design, community engagement, and inclusive mobility. Can you tell me why those three and what each one means? Yeah, so um, after those two years uh, um, on the summit, these elements were already present at the, at the summit. And we did a sort of recon mission mm-hmm. with our colleagues from the embassy to see, okay, where, where can we put the emphasis on within design, within architecture? Um, what should that be? Um, and, and where could there be this connection between the Netherlands and preferably a city in the Netherlands? Um, and we came to these three, the neighborhood design, community engagement, and in- inclusive mobility. These are the important challenges of Detroit. But mm-hmm. We have them too. Uh, Detroit has a, has a history of ups and downs, so to speak. Um, and these are very much alive. And again, within the creative industry sector of uh, Detroit, we think that design can play an important role in advancing whatever challenges there are within within these these three, uh, and connect with with Dutch partners. Um, so that's that's why we uh, focus on those. And of course, um, for people who are not familiar with what we're doing here, we had the summit with these three topics, a little bit more general, and then we had the urban dialogues as a special session during the summit for invitees only mm-hmm. to dive deeper into these um, topics and to have a group of Dutch and American experts, academia, entrepreneurs, uh, government officials to to see what are we talking about here? What kind of challenges are there on this side, but also on the other side? So let's take one. Like, so community engagement, is that as simple as it sounds? Like when I hear that, I think it just means involving the people who are living there, involving them in the process yeah. from day one to mm-hmm. day 100 or throughout the whole thing. Is, is that? In essence, that's it. But I think in, in practice, uh, it's a lot harder than, than people think. And also... Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, uh, the approach is different. So okay. these are one of the fascinating things that I think, okay, we can, we can take some good experiences from Detroit and how to do that in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, just, we just did our debriefing with the group. And for instance, the city of Eindhoven has these big projects where they have to develop the central station, work with all kinds of surrounding uh, villages. And the way they approach here uh, of try to use community engagement, uh, talking to uh, citizens first, not even the topic, but just talking to them, what they find important, mm-hmm. uh, build that relationship and involve them from the beginning in, into a design process. You would think we would do that in the Netherlands, but we still do it very much project-based, saying, okay, look, 
we've got this idea. Mm-hmm. Here it is. You know, what do you think? Then, then you're already a few steps ahead, and people are confronted with, oh, you you want me to form an opinion on your idea on how to to do this, and then you get a different kind of engagement. People might object sooner. People might feel left out. And also another aspect I think that it's really really uh, strongly developed here is to get a diverse group as possible, to get as many insights as possible. Mm-hmm. And is that where inclusive mobility um, is? When you say inclusive, is that for diversity or is it? Well, inclusive mobility here. The challenge was, you know, uh, De- Detroit um, with such a big square mile. Uh, city, but not that many people living it anymore, uh, has a dis- disconnect with right. uh, with mobility. Many people do not have access to uh, public transit. Public transit itself is not in a, in a good shape. In a good shape. It's the it's the mobility city, but around thirty percent doesn't even have a car. So this topic was 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 involving around what kind of mobility ideas can we come up with to make everybody uh able to to go from a to b mm-hmm. uh, and where should a and b be and uh, a and b be right and, right and how and, and how should you build on that um so and know, i guess that plays into the neighborhood design as well where exactly because that's where the a and b would be yeah uh they have these um, strategic neighborhood hubs initiative mm-hmm. um because it's such a spread out city if you look at downtown, you would think that downtown looks good. It's 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 alive. It's vibrant. Um, but then you have these communities around it that go pretty far, um, and you want to develop areas of livability too. There with with, with shops and, and good schools and and, and a supermarket and mm-hmm. you know, a bakery, etc., etc. Um, and they try to do that, so you don't always have to go from A to B for 20 miles. Right, you don't want to, nobody no. wants to drive 20 miles by And it sounds logic and it sounds simple, but it isn't. It isn't even in the US. Uh, this is a pretty extreme, but you know, these are challenges throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a shared challenge that, you know, we didn't think that that would exist was the, uh, the density problem. Density, okay. Yeah, so it's a low density city. Um, but then our, our friends from Eindhoven said, well, we have this low density problem as well, you know, Eindhoven itself. But then the surrounding villages, it's they're a lot smaller. The, the buses, um, they they have to go there, uh, but they don't go every ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't always go. Um, and if you would reverse it, I'm living in the city. I have to go to these villages. It would take you a long time for for a short amount of distance. Sounds familiar? Yeah, mm-hmm. they have that here too. And we didn't think of that in the beginning. But you know, one of the Findings of the uh, urban dialogue. So to speak. I guess that's where the community engagement. It's a it's a solid example of how the community engagement can yeah. can lead to a positive result, or at least a result that you can explore deeper. Yeah. What can the Netherlands and Michigan learn from one another? I think there's a lot, but I think you got to start with the fact that we have a historical bond with mm-hmm. Michigan. There's a large Dutch community here. It's probably the largest in the country. I'd imagine. I think so. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. If it's not the largest, it's one of the oldest. Uh, yeah. Maybe besides the besides New Amsterdam and exactly there's the <laughs> New history, York. but to say yeah. there's a large Dutch community still uh, present uh, compared to Michigan, I think it's different here. They also still have the traditions that they celebrate, mm-hmm. and they, they they celebrate King's Day, uh, they celebrate Sinterklaas, um, mm-hmm. 
uh, and it's so that's that's the basis mm-hmm. what they can what they can learn from each other i would say from the concert we have we have focused on two areas of collaboration one is okay. this one the, the design the design one the other one is the automotive sector or the mobility sector Autom- okay um you know uh, in michigan is uh, very much the uh um, it's the <laughs> of uh the uh, well the important corporate and r d decision making on the new uh, mobility developments so they have this historical background uh, with the three big automakers here but the new developments on electrification and autonomous driving uh, on the battery industry that is fastly growing uh, makes it a very interesting place for the mobility sector to be and uh, likewise you know for for michigan the 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 way the automotive sector in and of has developed after it got rid of their last brand mm-hmm. <laughs> um, makes for a good connection um, so those three elements is where we can exchange uh, ideas hmm. what do you see as the future for collaboration between the Netherlands and Michigan um, I think we can grow stronger on these areas um, I'm hopefully we can look forward to a visit of the of the Michigan governor next year to the Netherlands okay uh, she has um, um, let it be known. Let it known that she intend to to go to Europe and visit the Netherlands, hopefully too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what I see is a a, a stronger collaboration, uh, not only uh, within uh, a business approach, but especially on this design track, also a collaboration between academia and and, and the government. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can use that also to to strengthen our ties uh, on that automotive sector. Um, because it's a it's a, it's a rapidly changing and growing uh, area around around the world, mm-hmm. and we need strong partners on on both sides to be part of that mobility revolution and and to use it. It feels like we're on a cusp. I, I whenever I hear of the electrification and the driverless cars, I always think, yeah, that's 50 years away. It's so far away. But then I think of the evolution of the cell phone. I, I remember in 2000. Yeah. saying to my wife, I don't need a cell phone. I don't see, I don't see the reason for it. And, and then um, I saw the reason clearly in, in after, 2000, after the Twin Towers, after 9-11. We, saw we, we need to be able to reach each other in an emergency. Right. So I got a cell phone, and I still didn't, didn't use it much, never sent a text for the longest time. And then the iPhone came out in 2007. And I think within two years, everybody had a smartphone. Yeah. And so it just takes the right technology to meet the needs of society at the time. And then that revolution can happen quickly. Exactly. So I you know when you're in it, yeah. it, it, you think it's going slow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like the frog in the, in the, in the, in the pen. The so, frog in the pen? Yeah. The frog in the pen. When, when you know, Al Gore used that, when you turn up the heat, it gets water and warm and warm, but the frog oh, yes, stay so. inside. Right, but right, if you're right. outside and he jumps in, he thinks hot, he'll jump out again. That, the boiling, so, the, how you, the boiling frog. Okay, the boiling yeah, frog. Yeah, I understand. So when you're in it, you you don't always see it, and I think clearly, if you have this this collaboration and continuous conversation with each other uh, on on various topics, uh, you 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 stay. It stays on top of the mind of you, and 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 you 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 can perhaps uh, take more advantage of the developments. Your example made me think of the movie that just came out called blackberry blackberry and sometimes you you need that kind of 
perspective. Yeah, that, that's how fast it went, and you forget. Is that about the the BlackBerry it's device? It's about BlackBerry, and it's about how how this Canadian company, a Research in Motion, how they um, uh, grew rapidly to the dominant phone yeah. until the iPhone. Yeah, uh, that was it. I think I you know I still remember I had a BlackBerry. I still remember that it was a thing with Obama being elected president that he had his BlackBerry. I re- oh, I remember that now. The Secret Service had to go through something with exactly. that. Exactly, and you know, and then and then all of a sudden, uh, iPhone came out, and then they took away the keyboard and had a touchscreen only. Yeah, and and right now you would think, oh, that was a matter of months, yeah. but it was a matter of it was still a matter of a few years before it flipped. And and uh, BlackBerry lost its markets, among others like Nokia. But I think BlackBerry, the BlackBerry story, reminds me of how fast revolutionary changes can go, uh, and, and and you better be part of it. So maybe my next car will be electric and driverless. I, <laughs> could be, could be. Well, I think electric first and driverless is another thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not in the market yet. Knock on wood, but. Um, I just have one final question. It came to me last night. I, I learned a little bit something about you last night. It surprised me. Okay. You wanted to see the Chicago Bears game. I know. How does a Dutchman gain such an interest in American football? Or in football, I should say. You know, um, going back to that I became an American studies major, the okay. fascination with the United States has been there since I was a kid. And, of course, it's innocent in the beginning. Yeah. You, you, you like I think it's cool. You like American movies. I, I, I read Western strips, you know, the, the Blueberry comic. Okay. Um, uh, I have them all. Um, and, and, you know, when uh, it's, it's, it's aligned to my fascination with history. So when I went to Utrecht, uh, I already told my parents, I switched from an economic study to history and I said, look, I, I can do this yeah. economics, but I really don't enjoy it. Yeah. Well, you have to do what you enjoy. I'm going to do history. And I was, I've always been good at history. And I said, when I do history, I'm going to do American studies. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one of the reasons I, I like I like sports. Okay. Um, and when in Wyoming, um, I went a lot to the college games. I, I never went to NFL games. They were the Denver Broncos. The yeah, well, I was going to say, what's the nearest team there? Yeah, the Denver Broncos is the football team. Um, uh, Utah Jazz is kind of their, their, their basketball, basketball game okay. uh, for Wyoming. Um, I went to the college game. That I discontinued. So I live here now for three years yeah. and around me with the friends we made uh, and the friends of our kids. Well, not our kids, not really the, the, the neighbors and, and, and the parents at school. You could see their obsession with college sports. It's amazing how, and, how big it is. And it's a, I, can't, I, can't, I can't copy that because I have Wyoming and that's, you know, people tend to be a fan of the college they attended to and that's it. Yeah. I can't just pick uh, Michigan State or something. Yeah. Um, but I did it with, with professional sports. So, you know, I, I enjoy uh, watching football, basketball. Baseball is my, uh, is, to me, is the most iconic American sport there is. Well, I, you're, you're speaking my language yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> but you're, yeah. you're in Chicago, so you're a White, Fo- White Sox? Or no, Cubs. 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 Oh, Cubs is my team. Um, um, I, also because it's, it's a very old team, and I think it's where it should be. It's in the middle of town. Yeah. It's got a very charming... A stadium, okay. Uh, not one of these, these these giant stadiums with a with a fifteen mile square mile parking lot around it. Which yeah, I think is not where sports should be part of the city. Yeah, and it should um, it should uh, enlighten the neighborhood that it's surrounded. The neighborhood should profit from having a 
uh, stadium there. So of, of course a, a, a football stadium is not of much use because there's so only 15 games, so maybe maybe eight, eight games. Eight a year. Eight a year. So I can see why you shouldn't have that downtown, although you might combine it with a soccer stadium and have more games. Well, in, in Maryland, Baltimore's uh, the football stadium and uh, Ravens Stadium and Cannon Yards, they're, they're right next to each other. Right. Yeah, and they share a lot of parking lots, but we go to Camden Yards a lot. I've never been to the Ray, Ray, uh, Raven Stadium. But uh, but I got to say, I still give a European perspective, European perspective to my Chicago friends okay. on sports. And what is that? That is because, in all fairness, the Chicago sports teams, they're not that good right now. And they're usually not that good. Okay. Uh, well, who won last night? Well, the Bears won. The Bears. <laughs> they played the Panthers. So they, they, I would have lost that one. <laughs> oh, my God. It wasn't a pretty game. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm that far into sports. I can see it's not a pretty game. Right, right. Um, but anyway, I, so, but they keep coming. So they keep going to the, to the cops. They're okay season. Yeah. They keep going to the games. And it's expensive. I find it very expensive. Might not be everywhere, but Chicago sports are expensive. And I say, you got to do what the Europeans do when their teams are not performing. And say, what's that? You don't go. You know, you, try, <laughs> oh, it, you, you don't go. Does that not happen in Chicago? Money. No, they keep going. Do they really? And so if they keep going, the money keeps flowing in. And, and they, you know, you can't relegate. Ah, there is no relegation in, in American sports competition. Right. Uh, at, one, at one event, I spoke to an American investor who, uh, who bought a, a British soccer team. Okay. In the fourth division, I think it was. So I said, well, wow, I did it. And I think kind of as a hobby. And I said, ah, how's it going? Yeah. I said, it's terrible. I said, why? Well, they won the championship. Now they're in the third division. <laughs> oh. And it got a whole lot more expensive. Oh, okay. Uh, and now they well, that was very different from again, here. And then I got to fire it. And I got to budget it again. So, you know, he, he, it, it, it's an adventure. He didn't expect to 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 move that way. And then and professional sports here don't work that way. You're, you're in the league you're in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but that's what I tell my friends, you know, you got to, you, you just don't go. Yeah. No, well, force them to, to make some decisions and to make sure that they win again. Either that or, or if you really enjoy baseball, go to the minor league games because you can. That's a good suggestion. <laughs> minor leagues are more fun than people think. Oh, they are. My, yeah. uh, when my son, he's a, in college now, a freshman, but when he was younger, 10, 11, 12, he would go to a game with with a buddy of his and come home with a bag full of baseballs. They were foul balls. Exactly. He would just run around and, and chase them, and he loved it. And right. still, uh, uh, he, he, he still loves it today. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you again, Jerome, for joining me for this episode of Five Frosting. Though I think I might have asked a few more than five questions again. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please tell us what you think in the comments below and be sure to click on the subscribe button and turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode or the other videos we post on our YouTube channel. I'll be back behind the microphone next month with another member of the Dutch Diplomatic Network in the United States. Until then, you can keep up with our work on any of our social media channels, Facebook, X, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Just search for NL in the USA. And you can stay up to date on how the United States and the Netherlands have a partnership that works. 